0: Welcome again to our study of the uh, Paul's Epistle to the Philippians. We are in chapter Four, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses eight and nine. They're packed full of good things, and I hope that they will be a blessing to you as they have been to to us. And uh, we're going to continue forward in the next week with uh, continuing verses in this fourth chapter. As I mentioned earlier, but I'll put it on the recording, the 24th now today is the third and then the 10th well next week but the 17th uh we will not be having the philippian study because i will be out of town i will be in uh texas and um being at the spl and and ets meeting so uh i won't be able to have the the uh, study that week on the uh, 17th but we'll be back lord willing on the 24th okay So, welcome and glad you're here with us. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. Father in heaven, we are grateful to you that you have given us your word, that you have maintained it, and that you have given it to us in such ample fashion so that we have it within our own possessions, so that we can read it and we can meditate upon it and hide it in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that your word lives and abides forever, and we thank you that you have given us clear and good instructions. On how we can walk in the footsteps of our Messiah Yeshua, and in doing so to please and honor you, and to give glory to our Messiah Yeshua, and to walk in the power of your Ruach for your glory, for the good of others, as we have the opportunity to share with them your greatness and what you have done in your Son Yeshua by bringing about full and eternal salvation. We're so grateful, Lord, for all that you give us. And I pray that as we study these few verses tonight, that they will be an encouragement to each and every one, and so that we might also be able to encourage others with your word. And we bless you for this, in Yeshua's name. Amen. All right, I've decided to read the Net Bible. I'm not a fan of the Net Bible as a whole. I do think that one of the best things that the Net Bible has done is the copious footnotes that they have and they oftentimes have good illustrations of why they have chosen uh, the translation they have, or what were the opposite or uh, alternative translations. So the notes themselves are worth having, I think. But we'll go ahead and read the Net Bible tonight, uh, chapter four of Philippians. So then, my brothers and sisters, dear friends, whom I long to see my joy and crown, stand in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. I appeal to Yodia and Suntiket to agree in the Lord. Yes, I say also to you, true companion, help them. They have struggled together in the gospel ministry, along with me and Clement, and my other co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let everyone see your gentleness. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation through prayer and petition with thanksgiving tell your requests to god and the peace of god that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in messiah yeshua finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is worthy of respect whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if something is excellent or praiseworthy think about these things and what you learned and received and heard and saw in me do these things and the god of peace will be with you i have great joy in the lord because now at last you have again expressed your concern for me now i know you were concerned before but had no opportunity to do anything i am not saying this because i'm in need for i have learned to be content in any circumstance i have experienced times of need and times of abundance In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether I go satisfied or hungry, have plenty or nothing. I am able to do all things through the One who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my trouble. And as you Philippians know, at the beginning of my gospel ministry, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, on more than one occasion, you sent something for my need. I do not say this because I am seeking a gift. Rather, I seek the credit that abounds to your account. For I have received everything, and I have plenty. I have all I need, because I received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, very pleasing to God." and my god will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in messiah yeshua may glory be given to god our father forever and ever amen give greetings to all of the saints in messiah yeshua the brothers with me here send greetings all the saints greet you especially those who belong to caesar's household the grace of the lord yeshua messiah be with your spirit okay that's quite a chapter and uh a lot of uh, very very good and deep things in there and we're going to look just at verses eight and nine now Uh, and we're going to continue through this chapter lord willing as we meet each wednesday night all right so verse eight finally brethren whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is of good repute if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, it's a good reminder of us that when in the scriptures we find lists like this, and this is particularly true in Paul and, and others, where they're giving us lists of words, we need to ask ourselves, how do they differ? In other words, what are their specific intent by using all of these various words? So that's what I want to uh, look at here but first we want to know what he means when he says finally (laughs) it it is the the greek uh, uh, toloipon and he used it again in chapter 3 verse 1 where it clearly denotes as for the rest or furthermore and does not indicate the coming to a close of his epistle and the same thing's true here because he's saying finally and he doesn't bring us to a closure here he has much more to say so he may likewise be using this opening finally in our text to indicate summing up of his immediate exhortations rather than signaling that he has finished his epistle for in the immediate context we see paul's clear exhortations for believers in a given community to foster true friendship and unity i think one thing we have to all admit that no matter what community we've been in uh, there's always going to be some who cause some dissension it may be just a small little group that kind of uh, separates away or something like that there may be just a few people that are kind of having a hard time with each other as these two ladies were in philippi that we read about but what is it that causes us as believers to have difficulty remaining together loving each other and caring for each other even in spite of our differences well this is what paul is talking about he says finally or the goal is whatever is true whatever is honorable and so forth in the previous context he begins with rejoicing in the lord always again i will say rejoice now here is the foundation for establishing a strong and vibrant community of faith it is for each member to grow in affirming the goodness of god and that true rejoicing in all aspects of life flows from a growing dependence upon him and rejoicing in all of his goodness there's nothing here that's saying always be happy always have a big smile on your face be you know whistling a tune or skipping down the road no that's not what it means what does it mean to rejoice it means to take the reality of who god is that he is in control of all things and that he brings all things together for his glory and for our good that we're able even to rejoice in the difficult times because we know that even the difficulties that come to us are allowed by or brought even upon us by god himself he has our whole life in his hands so if we have this well in mind then no matter what we face we can still say lord i know you're in control I take great joy in knowing that nothing is going to happen in my life apart from your bringing it and giving me the ability to uh, uh, persevere through it. Or if I have made wrong decisions and I'm I'm reaping the benefits of these bad decisions and that's my fault, I still know that I can call out to you, O Lord, and seek your help as I repent of what I've done wrong and come back to you in full assurance that what you will do will be right for me that's what it means to rejoice and so you can do that all the time you can do it when things are going well you can do it when things are not going so well when things are more and more difficult and i know that we're in these this time in our country and in the world where this uh, covid virus is causing all kinds of disruptions in our families in our workplaces in our cities Everything. And it's caused a lot of people to despair. But we don't need to despair. We know that our lives are in His hands. We have to be careful. We have to do what's right. We have to live in a healthy way and be careful Uh, who we're around and so forth and so on. All of those are just wisdom. But still, it is God's will that we rejoice in Him, even in difficult times. And I think that's so applicable for us today so next he writes let your gentle spirit be known to all men the lord is near such a gentle spirit is that which desires unity and harmony and is therefore careful and on guard against fostering a spirit of self-centeredness and rather practicing what he admonishes us we read earlier in chapter two do nothing from selfish or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves isn't that interesting each one of us are to regard the other as more important now if we were really to practice that if we were to see the needs of others as even more important than our own needs we would have a different perspective on how we treat one another it's easy to get along with people that were Uh, like us and that we have a good time together and we have similar interests and so forth and so on but to get along with people who differ from us well he says that with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves help each other don't talk behind each other's back don't pull each other down this is what god hates and it's what the enemy loves well, next in the previous context paul reminds us be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god here once again as we saw last week is the life uh pattern for the child of god by prayer and supplication in everything our life is to be a regular uh channel of prayer to god sure we can pray together in specific times but we can pray throughout the day seeking wisdom from god seeking additional strength when we need it and seeking to put into practice his word as he brings it to our heart and mind so by opening verse eight with finally it seems most likely that paul is encouraging his readers to make a memory list of these early exhortations and to put them into practice rejoice in the lord have a gentle spirit towards others live a life of faith in the goodness of god this i know that i have uh, mentioned this in the past but it just seems like it's so prevalent in our day this is just uh, on the other edge of or the other side of the so-called prosperity gospel the idea that God has saved us in order to make everything right for us and to give us everything we want and never to have a, a, a sickness, never to have a problem, never to be in want. That uh, if we truly you know, walk in the Spirit, then we're just going to have a life that's just completely filled with that which is wonderful without any problems. No, that's not it at all. Yeshua said in this world you will have tribulation. He says, but uh, but be of good cheer be happy rejoice in the lord always why because yeshua has overcome the world so rejoice in the lord means learn to rejoice even when things are not easy and have a gentle spirit toward others and live a life of faith in the goodness of god then having the solid foundation of faith as the basis for serving the lord paul goes on to give a wonderful list of adjectives which define the very meditation of the heart of faith followed by a command think on these things isn't it amazing that the lord knows that what we have most often going on in our minds is the very thing that will be uh uh, moving us forward one way or the other if we live with fear of the next thing that's going to happen that's going to change the way we act and react but if we give things over to the lord if we say lord i want to do your will and i want to do it your way and we do that even with the smallest things of life then we can be assured that he will guard us and that he will guide us in the way that he wants and he will enable us to be strong where we need to be strong and to be a witness and testimony for him where otherwise we would not be able to be such a testimony well this list of adjectives he says think on these things further it is clear by the way the list is arranged that paul is not teaching us to have one or two of the list that follows but we are to strive to incorporate all of them as a complete and essential character of the believer's life this essentially is the fruit of the spirit cast in slightly different words he says whatever is true unfortunately many people accept as true be that which their present culture affirms to be true. But this, of course, is not a valid definition, for in order for truth to be discernible, there must be an unchanging standard by which it is measured. You can't have something that is truth one year and is false the next year if God is in control. Why? Because God is the measure of truth. Well, and since cultures change through the years and ages when one's own culture accepts as true many in fact uh, may not be true at all yes i mean one's own culture accepts as true that may be something that's totally false just because the culture the fallen culture uh, accepts it as true doesn't mean it is true there is obviously only one unchangeable standard of the truth and that standard is god himself and the revelation he has given why because god doesn't change If you have ever done any woodworking, you know that you use a tape measure or some kind of a a, a measure that is uh, always the same. You can't have inches that are four quarters one day and three quarters the next day. No, that's not an inch. You've got to have everything the same from one time to the next or things aren't going to work together. That's just a simple illustration of the fact that there has to be an unchangeable standard for truth there is only one unchangeable standard and that is the standard is god himself and the revelation he has given so god is the norm of truth that is true in thought in word or actions which answers to the nature of god as revealed in the moral ideals of the gospel of his son who manifests him and who can therefore say i am the truth what does it mean when yeshua says in john 14:6, i am the truth It means he is the source of truth. That all that is true will align with him and he will affirm it. If it's not true in the very person of Yeshua, then it's not true at all. He is the very measure of truth. Here is a very important beginning point which Paul states for all who desire to enhance and strengthen the community of faith in which they are members. Now I hope that all of you to one extent or another are uh, meeting together in a community maybe you're having to do it virtually maybe you're online like we are today Uh, but nonetheless you're committed to a given community well if we desire to enhance and strengthen the community of faith in which we are members then we must know the starting point of truth truth must be the foundation upon which the believing community thrives and matures and this means that the scriptures and the scriptures alone must stand as the final voice by which truth is ultimately discerned. Now I know there needs to be uh, camaraderie, there needs to be an an ability for people to uh, care for each other and be friends together and so forth. There's all of that, of course. That's what the scriptures teach. But there are some churches that are mega churches and this is because it's so much fun to go there everybody's just having a good time and it doesn't really cost you that much and you just go and have a good time and think well that was wonderful and you do it next week and the next week and the next week but is there any real uh, impetus to conform our lives in those kinds of situations to conform our lives to the very person of Yeshua to repent of sin to learn how to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and to care for one another and help each other, both in the physical sense and as well as in the spiritual sense. This is what the true community is supposed to be. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens, and by doing so put forth the the very person of the Messiah. He says, Whatever is honorable. The Greek word translated honorable by the NESB is the Greek semnos found only three other times in the apostolic scripture so he's using a word that uh, i didn't put this in the notes but he's using a word that is um, found in other greek literature but it's not so oftentimes used in the scriptures it's found just three other times and here they are deacons likewise must be men of dignity there's our word sumnos, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain that's first timothy 3 8 and then First Timothy 3:11 women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. and then finally Titus 2 two Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. The standard Greek lexicon uh, bauer Danker, Art, and Ginrich, uh, we abbreviate that BDA, Bdag. Uh, offers these possible definitions what does it mean to to be dignified what does it mean to be uh, honorable as the nasb has it it means to be worthy of respect or honor it means to have a noble character to be dignified but it also means to be serious about what one is doing honorable worthy venerable holy above reproach so if you take those all together it means doing what god intends us to do doing it for his glory for the good of others and not seeking to make ourselves uh, some special point of applause by everyone interestingly these same personal characteristics are required of those who hold a leadership role in the assembly such as deacons thus paul clearly teaches us here that all who name the name of yeshua honorable ought to be living a life of honor to him and thus to one another honorable includes trustworthy able to be counted upon and striving to love others even as yeshua loves us part of that of course a major part of that is being willing to keep our word if we say that we're going to help someone and we make plans to do that then we follow through on it if we say that we're going to take on a responsibility within the the local community then we put ourselves to it and consider it to be something that we must accomplish i can't tell you in the in the years that we've been together at at our community here um, how many times there have been people who said yes they want to do this they want to do that and then when you follow up on them you say well uh, you know how are you doing with that oh i haven't been able to do it i haven't i've been too busy and so forth and so on and well that that may be the truth but what we need to do is when we commit ourselves to something in order to be honorable we need to seek every possible way to accomplish what we promise to do and so honorable includes trustworthy able to be counted upon and striving to love others even as yeshua loves us he says uh, in uh, john thirteen thirty four, a new commandment i give to you yeshua says that you love one another even as i have loved you that you also love one another and how is it that Yeshua has loved us? He's loved us by giving himself, by giving up what would be his, and doing for us what only he could do. Loving one another is giving ourselves to each other in an appropriate way, in a time, timely fashion, and as we have promised. And what is the characteristic of this love as taught us in the very person and work of Yeshua? it is a love which considers the needs of others more important than my own desires and wishes granted this has to be expressed in the realm of wisdom but the love which exemplifies is exemplified by yeshua himself is a self-giving love and giving that has the goal of bettering the one loved it's not self-centered it's others-centered he says whatever is right okay whatever is honorable whatever is right here the greek word translated right by the nasb is dikaios the word that is often translated as righteous and envisions a person whose whole life is patterned by obedience to god and to living in accordance with his standards so how does this word pair with the previous whatever is true it is this to be a righteous person means far more than simply knowing the truth it means having a life as lived out before others that is in harmony with the truth, taking what one knows to be true and living out the truth in one's everyday activities. There's no doubt that there are people who can uh, just, uh, you know, be very obviously uh, in control of their of their words and in control of their understanding and even in control of the the amount of bible that they have memorized and so forth and so on but the question is do they use all of that for the good of others as well as for their own strengthening in the lord and so forth always in the scriptures our love for yeshua is paralleled with our love for one another when we love one another the way he intends we are truly showing our love for him so whatever is true it is this to be a righteous person means far more than simply knowing the truth it means having a life as lived out before others that is in harmony with the truth taking what one knows to be true and living out the truth in one's everyday activities the next one is whatever is pure pure translates the greek word which is found only seven other times in all of the apostolic scriptures And it carries the general sense of pure, or holy, generally in the sense of living in accordance with the righteous standard as set forth by God himself. Thus, the characteristic of a person who is known to be pure is that he or she can be trusted to tell the truth, to live the truth, and to help others walk in the ways of truth. In other words, when you have a metal that has been purified, gold that has been purified so that all of the extremities are taken out, what you have pure what is that there's no admixture now if we take that into our personal lives what does that mean we have one central goal which affects everything else that we do and what is that one uh, central goal it is to honor the lord to give him glory for his greatness in what he has done for me and what therefore he has enabled me to do for him and those who are his That's what it means to be pure, not admixture, okay? Because you can't say, sure, I'll be glad to help you, and then, you know, I'm too busy. I'll have to do that another day. And you begin to not put into place the things that you promised to do. That's mixing things that essentially differ. Pure means being careful and wise, right? Promising to do something that you know full well you can do, and if you can't, you do everything you can to make it right and so forth and so on granted there are times when unforeseen circumstances come up but we ought to be careful to keep our word and to honor the lord by keeping it even when it is difficult for us to do so in the septuagint this greek word is used to denote real integrity the very integrity of god himself note for instance psalm 11:7 which is actually 12:7 in the hebrew text the oracles of the lord are pure oracles literally pure words as silver tried in the fire proved in a furnace of earth purified seven times what is the picture there when you purify silver in a fire it gets rid of everything that isn't silver so it's not an admixture and that's what we want to strive for in our lives we want to strive for that which is pure, not something that is you know, mixed together with something else at times. No, that's what it means to be pure in spirit. Whatever is lovely is the next. The Greek word translated as lovely, prosphiles, uh, and is found only here in the apostolic scriptures. Again, Paul is using words that are not you know used all of the time throughout the rest of the apostolic scriptures. Now, there are some that are found numbers of times, but uh, it's amazing how he has chosen these words, and it's it appears to me, and uh, I I did a little bit of research on this, that it's it appears to me that the philosophers of Paul's day were using these words as well, but in different ways. What Paul is saying is that if you want the truth, if you want the real truth of who you are and who God is, then you will have this kind of purity, this kind of love, and so forth. And so he's using words that were common in the literature of the greeks but um, were are not so common when the apostolic scriptures were written as a result we must depend upon its use in extra biblical literature to get a sense of how it is used in our text when we do we discover that it portrays a close relationship with another person whatever is lovely it can carry the sense of having a special interest in someone it can mean beloved or very dear, or loving, kindly disposed, or devoted, devoted to someone. In our text it denotes a person who maintains their promises to others, who is easily approached, and who has demonstrated a genuine desire and ability to foster and maintain working relationships with others. Once again this admirable attribute must be exercised within the context of wisdom. No one is lovely to everyone. So surely Paul is not suggesting that this attribute is someone who seeks to be all things to all people. No, of course not. Surely the standards of righteousness set forth by our Lord and made clear through the scriptures are to be the very warp and woof of the one who seeks to be lovely as God intends. Now, obviously, uh, it isn't that we could go to someone who was living in, in outward sin and just you know pat them on the back and say, we, we just want to love you and so forth and so on. That's not love what is love is when we come to someone with the truth and sometimes the truth is difficult sometimes the truth causes them to have to repent we can bring them that truth with god's grace and if we have the wisdom and the ability to do so but what he's talking about here is particularly within the context of the local assembly of believers so easily devoted to one another loving each other in true ways to help one another grow and become what god wants each of us to be he goes on to write whatever is of good repute the greek word translated here as good repute is uh, euphemos, which carries the sense of to give a good report to affirm something to provide a fuller explanation once again this is the only time in the apostolic scriptures that the word is found (laughs) so here again we just have words that are not used very often elsewhere though its use in the time of paul seems to be well founded it carried the sense of that which others praise and which is generally received as honorable and praiseworthy the disciple of yeshua ought to live in such a way that others recognize the blessing that comes upon a life that is lived in accordance with god's righteous standards the success of living out such patterns of righteousness will be seen in one's relationships as well as one's ability to care for others. And I think that there's no doubt that sometimes the most difficult test of our love for God and our love for one another is when we have difficulties with other people. Uh, We don't really know how to uh, confront them in a way that is right and honorable. Uh, If there's something that's going wrong and we're we're concerned for them and so forth, it takes wisdom. But obviously you can always take someone with you. (laughs) Uh, But we still need to love them in the sense of praying and hoping that they would be able to overcome the difficulties that they're facing and that they would learn through the process what it means to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Yeshua. And we ought to have this kind of camaraderie Within our families and within our communities. He goes on to say, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Paul now changes the flow by introducing an if then clause. If this is true, then this ought to follow. He uses the terms excellence, arete, and praiseworthy, epinos to describe the measure by which the whole life of the believer is to be assayed. To be considered as excellent and worthy of praise does not mean to somehow be thought of highly by those who have no moral standards. Surely Paul is talking about being held as excellent and praiseworthy among those who know the Lord and are likewise seeking to live in accordance with his righteous standards. So Paul is clearly setting this whole context in the context of the believing community people who have confessed yeshua and whose lives have shown that that confession is true but it is true that very often a life of righteousness lived out in obedience to the lord in his leading will also be recognized by unbelievers as well i think you probably have all experienced this to one extent or another i know i have uh you know when when somebody you've never even met before see, sees you uh, picking up things that have fell off of their porch or something and putting it back on their porch and they say well thank you that's so nice of you. you say well I'm happy to do it what do they think about you later on they think well I'm I'm glad he's a neighbor or she's a neighbor they didn't come and steal things off my porch they put it back on that's fantastic you see living according to God's ways will bring us into Uh, a situation where we are ready and a door is opened for us to give praise and honor to the lord as calvin notes paul therefore does not bid them try to gain applause or commendation by virtuous actions nor even to regulate their life according to the judgments of the people but simply means that they should devote themselves to the performance of good works which merit commendation that the wicked and those who are enemies of the gospel while they deride christians and cast a reproach upon them may nevertheless be constrained to commend their deportment and i think calvin's you know he says it in his own way but uh, i think he's, he's right on the money there when we live righteously in this world we're going to be singled out as different than many the greek word arete translated as excellence by the nasb can also carry the sense of uncommon character worthy of praise or exceptional civic virtue peter uses the same word applying it to the divine excellence which is to be the pattern followed by all who are the people of god through faith in yeshua so we read three times that peter uses it in his epistles first peter 2 9 but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for god's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies there's our word excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and what what is does that how do we proclaim the excellencies of him we do it first and foremost by how we live that means particularly the way we live at our everyday working situation or how we live within our families how we live within our neighborhood there has to be a shining light in our lives that says we want to give the, the the praise and the honor and the glory to Yeshua. That's what Paul is emphasizing as well as Peter here. And in Second Peter one three, Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. It is Yeshua's excellence that we are to mimic. We're trying to be like him in every way thought and deed and then finally second peter 1 5 now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge so there we have the word used twice excellence it is clear then that to strive for excellence as a believer in yeshua is to emulate the very excellencies that characterized him yeshua even as he walked and lived upon this earth it is in short to have the mind of messiah and this is only possible as the believer constantly seeks to know the lord and his desires in a personal way that is to emulate his way of thinking in all of life's actions and decisions i want to know how would the my savior react in this place in this situation how would he answer what would he do what would be his first reactions and so forth the more that we know Yeshua and understand how he lived and how he obeyed uh, the father as he was here upon the earth and how he willingly gave himself at times uh, for us in very uh, crucial ways even upon a cross when we see his example we recognize that we can trust God to lead us in every every situation So this is what uh Paul is telling the Philippian people. He has a great desire for them, he was with them, he he knew them personally, and he's writing this letter. He's been he's away, he he undoubtedly misses them, (laughs) would like to be with them. But he remembers them and he continues to encourage them to grow in their understanding of what it means to be a follower of Yeshua and to give him the glory and praise he deserves. So verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, you may think at first that this is a bit arrogant for Paul to say. Is he really putting forth his own life uh, as kind of an example that they could follow? Yes, he is. But he's not doing so arrogantly. He, in other places, has recognized his failings and so forth, that he's human, that he does not do everything perfectly, but he now puts forth his own life as the mentor of the Philippian community, as an example from which they could learn how to walk in their world as true followers and disciples of Yeshua. For the early communities of the way surely saw themselves as aligned with the historic Jewish faith, based as it was upon the Tanakh. As such, The idea of emulating one's teacher was very much in place in the time of Paul, and he therefore calls upon those believers in the Philippian community to follow in his footsteps as they had come to know him as a true apostle of Yeshua, endowed with instructions from Yeshua, and committed to teaching these principles and life actions to those disciples. So you can see that a, a mentor like Paul would have lived before them as a way to illustrate what it means to walk in the footsteps of the Messiah. This is why he could say the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. These are the very things that you need to emulate. It doesn't mean that he thinks that he couldn't do, uh, he could grow and be better and so forth. No, but it means that the essentials that, that Paul taught in terms of what a believer's life should be like as they interacted with one another, as they were alone by themselves, and so forth and so on. All of that, Paul says, I have been an example before you. Now that's something that every teacher ought to contemplate. Have I been an example before those that I'm teaching so that they could follow my example and God would be pleased? Well, not every teacher has that that record that's for sure but if we're teaching we ought to have that as a goal right yes absolutely indeed in a world where the written text of the Tanakh was not readily available in written form to everyone it was of vital importance that the teacher not only teach the truth of the scriptures but also model these truths in his own life and teaching everyone did not have a copy of the Tanakh themselves it was far too expensive a scroll could cost uh, uh, one year's wages and so where did you where did you hear the word of god when you came together there was a scroll and you read it and you meditated upon it so a teacher need to be able to emulate in his life what he was teaching so that others could see it and remember it and that's what paul's teaching us here This emphasizes an obvious and very important reality for those who seek to become teachers within the body of Messiah, namely, that their lives must be a living testimony of their words. Otherwise, their teaching will inevitably bear little fruit. As Calvin notes, Now, the main thing in a public speaker should be that he may speak, not with his mouth merely, but by his life, and procure authority for his doctrine by restitude of life. Paul accordingly procures authority for his exhortation on this ground that he had by his life no less than by his mouth been a leader and master of virtues. And I know Calvin speaks in kind of an old way but I think he oftentimes uh, really uh, nails it down with what he says. Note that the example of Paul's life was not only transmitted when the Philippian community was actually being taught by him but also by means of his reputation and life of holiness which they had heard from others they had both firsthand awareness of paul's sanctified life which was then supported and even enhanced by the reputation he had among other believing communities and it is amazing isn't it how many times leaders who gain a large following uh, there's just time and time again in the past 20 30 40 years where we've heard people Uh, that were, you know, men that were teachers, uh, and they fell. (laughs) And they ended up uh, really causing more harm than they had done good because they became so self-centered. Well, for all of us, we need to recognize that God is the one who must receive the glory. God is the one who must receive the attention. We must point everyone to him let let them be disciples of yeshua now if we can help them to do that that's wonderful and we ought to help one another do that but ultimately they ought to recognize their following in the footsteps of the messiah not in our footsteps and the god of peace will be with you having mentioned the fact that the two ladies yodia and suntake were at odds with each other as a result there were no doubt others who were taking sides in the whole issue thus paul once again emphasizes that god is the one who brings peace and that only through submission to his will confessing where wrong has been done and seeking forgiveness and reconciliation with each other could the swelling division be overcome and peace be refounded within the philippian community of believers isn't it amazing how a separation of two friends uh within a given community they have they somehow they they can't get along anymore and they whatever and then people begin to take sides and then they point fingers at others why aren't you doing something about this? Why aren't you doing something about that? And it just becomes a tug of war and this is how the enemy loves to separate uh, people within the community. What are we supposed to do? well we're to seek forgiveness first we're to try to help the two that are estranged to find a way to come together we don't pick one over the other we consider each one to be just as important as the other well such peace and reconciliation would be so important for the philippian community itself it was from paul's perspective even more important for the testimony of yeshua as lord and head of the ecclesia for surely if god is the god of peace then his people ought to model this peace by their ability to love one another forgive each other for wrongs done and thus to seek the good of each other for the glory of god indeed the phrase the god of peace is one of paul's favorites used four other times in his epistles and i've given them for you there at the bottom of the page first one is romans 15 33 now the god of peace be with you all amen This is the very attribute of God. He is the God who brings peace. Then we must ask ourselves, am I following in his footsteps? Am I experiencing that peace and am I seeking all that I can do to help maintain that peace within the given community, within our families, whatever? Yes, if he is a God of peace and I'm to be like him, then I ought to seek every way to bring about peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, the grace of our Lord Yeshua be with you. Now, how is God a God of peace while at the same time crushing the uh, the enemy? Well, because the enemy wants to disrupt, he wants to tear apart, he wants to kill, and God is not going to allow him to do that. So that's the point. And then Second Corinthians thirteen eleven, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. God is the God of love and peace. And then finally first Thessalonians 5:23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Yeshua Messiah. So all of these times God is identified to us as the God of peace we therefore ought to seek to emulate that because we are seeking to be more and more like him this final phrase is not one of conditionality as though somehow overlooking god's omnipresence that god doesn't dwell with us he says uh, now may the god of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our lord messiah yeshua okay well it doesn't mean that he isn't with us yes he is with us that Paul writes the God of peace will be with you, and it makes it sound like in the future, is a promise of God's ever-blessed presence with those who truly are his. I am with you always, Yeshua said, even to the end of the age. So, he's with us always, but he sometimes comes with discipline, doesn't he? Because we are unwilling to submit to him. Okay, that's where we'll end for today thank you again for coming. We're glad that you're here with us and I look forward to be with you again next week when we continue in this fourth chapter of Paul's epistle to the Philippians. Shalom and have a good rest of the week.